Hello everybody, this is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris. This is Frank. And tonight uh, we are doing one of our Third Man series, so we have a friend of ours here, Jason Heaster. Hello. Um, and tonight we are going to be looking at the best Wes Anderson movie. So uh, we did this about a month or so ago with our friend uh, Aiden Boyer, and where we looked at the best M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, the concept here is is that we pick a certain particular director. Um, you know, Frank picks his favorite movie out of that director, like our friend picks uh, his favorite movie out of that director, and we go ahead and, um, you know, kind of hash it out and, like, talk it through and, you know, see what the, you know, what the arguments are for those movies. Um, so tonight we're doing Wes Anderson, and um, to go ahead and start, uh, Jason, uh, what was, like, your earliest experience or earliest movie with Wes Anderson? Uh, it would have to be Bottle Rocket. I mean, it's the first movie, um... I'm pretty sure I saw it uh, on video or something. Somebody probably loaned me the videotape, said, hey, watch this, and I really enjoyed it. And then uh, probably shortly thereafter, like Rushmore came out, and uh, I remember that fondly. And so I've been been a fan of Wes Anderson ever since. Yeah. Um, have you followed his career, like, pretty much most most of the way through? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen... You know all the movies uh, except for um, Isle of Dogs, the the latest. Yeah. Um, so I haven't seen that yet, but uh, you know I've seen all that stuff. Every now and then I like you know I've seen he's done some like shorts and what some uh, American Express commercials. Yes. Like, you know. Yeah. So I I enjoy that kind of stuff, and you know I'm a big movie geek. So I bought his movies on Laserdisc, and then later <laughs> bought it on DVDs, and uh, you know now Blu-rays. So, yeah, I've always been a fan, as long as I can remember, you know, seeing his movies. So, since you bring up the Laserdiscs, like, um, you're, like, one of those, like, uh, more so than anybody, I think, that, like, we know, like, one of those, like, kind of, like, a, like, multimedia aficionados that, like, you know, has had, like, every type of, like, you know, player, like, through the years and stuff like that. I was, I mean, I I remember being really excited, like, uh, when I was a kid, still living with my parents, and we got a stereo VCR, and so we had, like... You know, that hooked up to the stereo and then had, like, the first surround sound systems. And then, you know, when I was, when I moved out and got LaserDisc player and, you know, so, yeah, I've always tried to have, like, you know, a full home theater experience at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so I've, I've had it on, you know, multiple formats and, and things like that. And so, yeah, I still have a stash of LaserDisc that haven't seen the light of day in quite a few years now. Mm-hmm. When was the last LaserDisc you think about? I bought it might have been um, I don't know something something around the time of like the Phantom Menace. I know I, I actually won a copy. I think it was an import copy of the Phantom Menace uh, from from some like uh, internet forum. What a prize! Yeah, <laughs> it was very popular at the time, and like especially the the import was like far superior to the the domestic one. Right? Was it a different movie? <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't. I can't remember the last uh, last one I bought, but some, something around that era. I could probably figure it out at some point. Okay. Um, Frank, what was? Do you remember what your first Wes Anderson movie was? So I saw Bottle Rocket, but I wasn't particularly impressed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw Rushmore, and I loved Rushmore. Like saw Rushmore a few times in the theater. Um, and I think like I was kind of captivated by like like the whimsical nature of that movie. Um, 
just sort of, I don't know, like it feels like, like it skirts the line between like reality and almost like satire kind of, but, um, and then obviously, uh, um, Tenenbaums and Life Aquatic, um, and they kind of fell like, sort of like out of, he fell out of favor with me with like Dirty Dealing Limited, like I'm not a huge fan mm-hmm. of that. Um, and then I've, I've, I, I've actually seen like all of his movies. I've, I've seen Isle of Dogs. Um, I really like Isle of Dogs and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Like, I like that, like, I don't know. He's He's got this affection for stop-motion animation, and he does it really well. Um, and it's a good balance between, like, classical, like, almost like children's stories and, you know, like, more adult-oriented, like, filmmaking. Um, Moonrise Kingdom and, uh, what is it, Grand Budapest, they're okay. Yeah. Like, but... I really like Moonrise, but... Yeah. It's... I've, I've kind of gotten to the point, maybe it's just because I'm, like, bitter and old, where, well, yeah, like... I have a feeling the, whim- it's, the, 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 the whimsy just, is yeah. a little too much for yeah. me anymore. Yeah, that's why. And even, like, watching watching these movies again, I find that they don't really, like, move my, like, heart in the same way they did when I first saw them. Mm. Like, I don't necessarily have the same fondness for it, because I kind of just feel like, all right, buddy, like, let's find something else to do now, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I thought that, like... Maybe because we probably talked about it at some point, maybe. But it's like, I figured that was what she, what she thought. Probably. But on the opposite end of that, I think that he's fantastic at drawing performances out of his actors. So, like, the roles of those characters, like, um, you know, Bill Murray and uh, Owen Wilson. Like, Owen Wilson, who I'm not a fan of at all. But the performances that I love Owen Wilson in are in Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. And... Just the way that he pulls, like, I don't know, the best out of people, kind of. Yeah. Um, but then, again, like, the 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 hipster soundtrack, the mm-hmm. like, all that stuff, it just kind of... Yeah. I don't know, I guess, I guess I'm just kind of tired of it. I feel like yeah. it's it's past its prime. Is the whimsy too much for you, Heaster? I, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think the... Uh... His movies all, you know, they, they end up being fables. They end up, you know, not being... Right. Not being reality. That's true. And so, I think it makes it... I don't know. I, I think I enjoy that kind of escape um, from, so from reality. I, I agree with that. And I... If it was like he did one movie that was that, that would be okay. But I feel like in terms of his set design and his costume design and his weird fixation on like retro kitsch combined with like this cutting edge like hipsterism I think I, you keep on saying hipster I mean I don't I don't think the soundtracks are hipster at all I think it's I mean you know it's a lot of like British invasion and a lot of uh, I you know I, mean, I think that's pretty hipster uh, like having a Frenchman sing in David Bowie like that's 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 that that's crazy hipster <laughs> <laughs> that's like I don't know, like like mega hipster. You're must you're must say it's like proto hipster, right? Right. I you know. I mean, I think that it's him like trying to set. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's just like it's almost too precious, the way that like he presents things, where it's kind of grating to me a little bit at times. And I never felt that way when I was younger. Mm. But like again, like watching these movies, you know, for this podcast. I was sitting there, and, like, I, I still love Life Aquatic, and I thought Royal Tenenbaums was really good, but I was just sitting there like, man, like, like the, this this was my life at one point, where, like, this stuff actually, like, mm. moved me in some way. You are old and bitter. Yeah. Right. And then I watched this, 
1980s like post-apocalyptic biker movie and you loved it <laughs> right and i was yeah. like i was like yeah yeah run that guy over with that car i think all the i think all the stuff that you're well some of the stuff you're criticizing like the uh like the set design and you're saying like the 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 fascination with like this kind of like mid-century modern and mm-hmm. like the i think i think it it serves to to make it more like a fable like it, it exists he'll he'll mix things together where they exist out of you know, out of time and you're it's, like again like i completely agree with that i'm not i'm not criticizing it from the perspective where i don't think it has merit mm-hmm. i'm saying that i think that i've moved past a point in my life where it appeals to me so it's like anything like i mean it can have merit and still not be your cup of tea right and mm-hmm. i think that maybe i would wherever i am in my life like it's just not what what i need to see to be entertaining he's one of those weird cases where like i always like um complain about white people movies which is interesting because we were just talking before we started about noam baumbach and how he wrote the squid and the whale who's a co-writer of one of these movies and kicking and screaming and kicking yeah it's like and and like squid and the whale is like my go-to example of like the type of like indie white person movie that i grew to hate and it's one of the reasons i stopped watching movies like uh, present day movies a lot of times is because of that stuff because that's all those indie movies were to me and um but for some reason like wes anderson should count towards that to me and he doesn't and i don't and i don't know how to well, explain I, and it. i i think to jason's point i think that it's because he is making movies that are fables like it's not yeah. about there's a more universal appeal to the themes in these movies and i'm sure that i'm sure he's sure will talk about this and i i definitely will talk about it with life aquatic but it's not so much about what you're seeing on the screen more than what that thing represents, I guess. I don't know. Like, maybe that's not the right way to say it. But, like, as a fable, like, it's got a more broad, like, meaning to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and because it's, like, that fable aspect that he's, you know, mentioned, it's, I guess it's, it's not the world according to Garp. What's what's his damn name? Um, oh, John Irving. John Irving. It's not a John. That's the kind of element of white right. people movies that I hate. Is that John Irving element of like you know oh like poor upper middle class like tragedy. Very you know? very um, self centered. Yes. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. Where these are it's you like know, a these are still life affirming in some ways. <laughs> like you know to some degree. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Um, these but, are like almost exactly the opposite in that they're they're very universal. Yeah, they're, they're they're still the same people to some degree, but they're right. But they're much more you know like, like universal a, a, a good parallel from the same time period that Wes Anderson has been making movies is um, everything is illuminated, mm-hmm. which I think is a really good example of a movie that's specifically about like a person and his family, but broadly about much more than that. Sure. Whereas something like um, what's the Jim Carrey. Uh, Kate Winslet movie. Um, oh, um, I can't remember the name of it now. The one with the memory racing and stuff like that. Oh, Truman Show. No, 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 no. 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 What? No, maybe oh, oh, Eternal, Eternal Sunshine, Sunshine. Spotless Mind. Yeah. Yes. Right, yeah, which yeah. is like tries to be similar but ends up being like just about whiny white people, in my opinion. And I still enjoy that movie very much, but. Yeah, I, and I see what you're saying. I, 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 maybe it's just because it's, it's so good that it like it, it kind of elevates itself past what it I'm does. talking it's, about. It's more personal stuff. and less universal. Yeah, yeah. It just becomes a movie about what's happened. Or um, Boston Translation is another good example where mm-hmm. it is just. And I love that movie. That's a movie about two people in a re- in their relationship as opposed to like 
themes of family. And see, I, I think uh, that time period, which we watched everything during that time yeah. period, and I really love those movies a lot, but it's like, and that's when, and that's also when, like, it's like, I guess it's like the golden age of hip-hop, right? Like, you know, it's like where there's all this good stuff, but then the things that end up killing it also come in at the same time. Right, like Garden State. Right, yeah, and I still kind of like Garden State, just yeah. like I liked, you know, Dre, you know, but it's like, sure. it's what ended up leading to the downfall at the same time. Like, it's like everything became much more like Garden State as opposed to... So is is, is Zach Brave P. Diddy, then? <laughs> Zach Brave's the P. Diddy of, like, morose white dudes? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Um, he needs to be in a fisheye lens, like shaking right, shoulders. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that was a, probably a scene on Scrubs at some point. <laughs> like, hey, we're gonna that. Um, <laughs> but yes, I no, I, yeah, I, sure. But it's, I, I think that that's probably like it, it all happens at the same time. It's almost like it. The, the, some of the better white people movies that I complain about come out around that time, right. around the time of both of these movies. You know, like in that in that little span of like the early two thousands, and then the the bad stuff comes along with. Because it back well. to your point about Noah Baumbach, like Squid and the Whale is a good movie, yeah. but Squid and the Whale is not a movie that I think holds up over time. Sure, and it definitely, again to Easter's point, it doesn't. It's not enough of like a fable. To be anything more than just something you watch once and then it doesn't like stay. I, I remember like I realized how unpopular my opinion were was among intellectuals though, because I was in a Jewish American literature class um, in grad school and uh, we were talking about you know because I'll be honest like a lot of those like you know novels end up being like you know border like that thing that I'm talking about right. with the squid and the whale. And I was talking about, like, my distaste, like, that my growing distaste for those movies that, you know, looked at, like, you know, the middle class or the upper middle class, you know, like, white, like, you know, struggle, um, you know, like, you know, what became a few years later, I guess, first world problems. Right. But it's like, um, and I, I remember criticizing that and, like, you know, my, you know, late fifth, early to late 50s somewhere in there like you know and a female professor sitting there and saying like well I think they have like you know a lot of merit and like you know going on to like you know in writing she was giving me feedback trying to argue about the merit of these things and it's like yeah that's why I right, because, because, it's because, it, because it's her life right and it's yeah. like in you know this upper middle class you know um, you know, ivory tower intellectual, like you know, like type that would that's drawn to those things. Not, not, like, not to like drag this out and get further away from like what yeah. we're actually here to talk about. Yeah, but we'll come back to a it. A good example of of that like working is the Ice Storm, the Ang Lee movie, mm -hmm. where it's a director who I think because Ang Lee doesn't come from that background, like can show that world and do it with a critical eye, where it's not so much about like showing his life as opposed to like exposing like the on like almost like the seedy underside of how like that existence is like how the pristine suburban whatever can have like these dark things but doesn't in a way that's not like self-aggrandizing or self-pitying it's just more of like a critical lens i love yeah. the so yeah i just i'm just thinking about like you know people we've talked about like David Lynch, like, you know, people, you know, Sam Shepard, like, people that are in the 80s and, you know, stuff are exposing that dark underbelly of, like, you know, suburban, middle-class life. Sure. I love all that stuff. But it's, like, you know, but it's, like, done in kind of, like, a fantastic way, like, in the way sure. that they do it. And it's a dark way. It's, like, this is, you know, it's, like, this, like, kind of, like, 
incest and violence and like you know all these like really like you know dark things where i think when i see like just the realistic portrayal of it which is just adultery and you know hiding the fact that you spent money and like these like very like just like you know alcoholism like it's like right. like all these real more realistic like you know things that you see every day which you know you're friends are going through in their relationships i think it's just dull and boring and i don't want to deal with the it. interesting like, thing is now in like the past like five years that's morphed into the horror genre where like yeah. all of those things have yeah. become like a staple of horror films so they're yeah. looking at like that middle class experience through the lens of like mm-hmm. a supernatural that. element like hiding under it or like what is you know like starting with kind of like what lies beneath like whatever 15 years ago sure yeah. yeah and like moving on from that where it's like okay so these rich like upper middle class people like are actually like murderers and mm-hmm. they have ghosts all over the place and they're all possessed and maybe yeah. and actually maybe that's like some sort of like I don't know, like psychological release for people who don't like aren't able to live that existence to like see those people suffer. That maybe it's like titillating in that respect. Or it's like the middle class, like white guilt. Yeah, that makes that yeah. appealing. Like in the Purge, you know, it's I mean sure. the first Purge movie is about what like an upper middle class family in a gated community getting like raided, and like maybe that for somebody who is living paycheck to paycheck has like some visceral thrill to see those people being the ones that are hunted and. Yeah, and that's much more recent, like, where it's, like, I think this time period, and, and uh, I know you don't want to prolong this, but, I mean, I think it's important. I think it's contextualizing, like, you know, Wes Anderson is, and the time period is a director, like, right. you know, and, like, what he's working inside, and, uh, you know, where, and I think it's worth a discussion, because it's, like, where the whimsy's, like, gotten too much for you, like, you know, I, I think the whimsy's the only thing that's, like, that I still like but the in weird, those movies. The weird like, thing is, like, I love the whimsy in Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs. Like, I think those movies are amazing. But, of course, they're animated. Right. So, I mean, it's like, and I, I like you mean, said Moon, Moonrise Kingdom, you're not... Right, and I wonder if maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's just like... It's almost like you can't you can't overlook it as much. Yeah. I can see I can see the, the, the fable aspect, the whimsy, as the the background. You know, it's, the, it's, the, it's part of the setting as opposed to, you know... You know what it reminds me of? It's like... The Coen brothers have a period of time where I feel like they became too focused on the idea that everything had to be hyper-stylized, and they got kind of boring to me. And whereas, like... And now they've gone way back to the... Example, like, real quick of what you mean by hyper-stylized. So, I I love Miller's Crossing. Yeah. But Miller's Crossing is an incredibly stylistically daring movie. Like, it's filled with, like, angles and shots and scenes that are meant to, like, be memorable... And be like, it's not just presenting a scene. It's it's done in a way where it's like cool and yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff like that in uh, Barton Fink. Sure, okay. Uses I a see. lot of those techniques, right? So you're talking um, about that late eighties, early nineties. Hail Caesar is very very stylized, right? And very. And so is um like the Lady Killers has a lot of things that are very stylized. Not a very good movie. Oh, it's terrible. Movie. Um, the movie. one with uh Clooney and um. What's her name? Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. The one where they're divorce lawyers or whatever. Oh, I can't even remember what it's called. I forgot that they did that movie. Yeah. Yeah. It, it I, was yeah, like mid-2000. Mid yeah. Well, like, you wouldn't remember it because yeah, no, it's not yeah, a very good movie. Right. But it was these almost like 50s kish, like everything is like clean and pretty and 
Mm-hmm. And their movies, I think, work better when they move away from that. And so, like, Ballad of Buster, Buster Scruggs or whatever it's called that came out on Netflix is hyper-stylized, but is also incredibly, like, naturalistic and beautiful because it's all filmed in, like, the West. And it's a much more relatable and enjoyable movie as a result because it's not about, like, weird... I mean, there's some weird, like, funny elements to it, but... Yeah, I don't think you remember us talking, like, at the end of last week, probably. Like, oh, when like I was, Saturday. Like, super drunk? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't remember much. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not a, as much of a fan of that as you are, I don't think, that, that movie. I, like, but that you don't like, like the Old West as much as I do, either. I, I, but, I, but I do like the West when it's done well, so I think that maybe says... Right, the... the but, you know. So, but, the... Okay, anyway. Well, we'll, yeah, we'll do that another time. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have a whole other episode to get yeah. out of this. All right. Um, <clears throat> so, Easter, I'll ask you, where, where, like, out of, like, modern day, like, directors, where do you kind of put Wes Anderson in terms of? That's really tough. I mean, he, he doesn't, you know, there's still directors uh, making movies that have... What five times as many movies as, right. as sure? What about your enjoyment seen? level? Like maybe like of watching his movies compared to some other directors. Like, I mean, you know, he's certainly does he there. rank? Oh yeah, I mean, okay. he's he's probably uh, easily top ten. I'd okay. say. Uh, you know, he's still producing. He still has a full career ahead of him. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still he's doing new and interesting things. He's sure. he's got uh, thirty years left in him. Easy, sure. Yeah. And I mean, I I you know hearing you guys say like you know he's. He has a particular style. True. It'd be really strange to see his style change as much as, say, like the Coen Brothers' yeah. style has has changed over the years, mm-hmm. for for good or bad. Yeah. Um, I think he's. Uh, I think Wes Anderson is doing. Um, he's still doing things very very similarly that he was doing, mm-hmm. you know, close to twenty years ago. Yeah. Um, over but, twenty years, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I still thoroughly enjoy all the movies. Um, you know, some more than others. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I think I'll be really interested to see what he's doing 15 years from now. Sure. You know, and see if he's still doing the same thing or not, you know, because at some point I think you have to change. Like, everybody's pretty much hit that point where they change at some point, like, and they don't just keep making the same movie over and over. And uh, Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't think he's doing that at all. I think there's elements of the movies that um, carry carry throughout his body of work. Right. But yeah. um, I think they very much uh, differentiate, differentiate themselves. Yeah. Yeah, no, sure. I mean, they're all very distinct, but um, there are some of those, as Frank said, kitschy elements that, you know, like, I, I persist, you know, however you want to call it. But, I mean... Um, I think he pays a great deal of attention to, you know, set design and uh, costumes and, and things like oh, that. Oh, yes, I think he's very detailed. I know he, I know he's very, he's very detailed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He has an architect or designer's eye for shop construction in Which, terms of like background and yeah i love i mean i'm a huge i'm a huge fan of stanley kubrick and so you know i see a lot of of things that that wes anderson does that are very much yeah that's that's like a really that, that that's actually a really interesting and like apt comparison but i look at it as almost like like the dark or the stanley kubrick is the dark mirror to what wes anderson does so whereas stanley kubrick does things that evoke, like, more negative reactions in you from a visual standpoint. Like, Anderson is trying to evoke more positive reactions. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can see all of that, I guess, in some ways. I, um, 
Yeah, let's go ahead and like jump into the movie since we're kind of like talking around them and seeing this. Sure. Um, so Heaster, um, your pick was uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. Royal Tenenbaums, which comes out in two thousand and two, um, starring Gene Hackman, Ben Stiller, Luke and Owen Wilson, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, Angelica Houston. I can just keep going on. Danny on. Glover. Danny Glover. Bill Murray. Um, Seymour Cassell. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a long list. Um, a lot of them, his you know, some of his regulars. So it has a eighty percent from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and eighty nine percent from the audience. Seventy nine. Uh, I'm sorry, seventy six on Metacritic. Um, so did you want to just give like a, for those that maybe haven't seen it, um, just a very brief synopsis of it? Sure. So. Uh... It's, it's a story of a family in New York. Um, uh, Gene Hackman plays Royal Tannenbaum, uh, the, the patriarch of the family. And uh, it's mainly about the three kids who were child prodigies and, um, you know, really successful by the time they were teenagers and maybe into their, you know, late teens, early 20s, something like that. And now it's close to 20 years later and, uh, you know, they're all back in in New York at the family home uh, through you know various events that bring them all together mm-hmm. and this is the the story of that okay so what particularly out of all of his films that you've seen um, which is everything except for that one what what makes this one what, what do you what makes it stand out to you like why do you connect with it do you think the most I think I, I really like the uh, the family dynamics um, I really like the um, the idea that these, you know, that these kids were, were very successful and then have fallen on far, hard times um, through various, you know, uh, for various reasons, um, probably partially based on their upbringing of their parents who were, you know, been divorced for many years. And uh, the performances are just amazing. I mean, Gene Hackman is great. I mean, it just literally everybody in it is, is wonderful. Um, and I don't know, it's just... Uh, has has a great flow to it. Has great music. It has, um, you know, it, it's it's set in New York, but it's not, it's not a familiar New York. It's yeah. kind of a microcosm. It's a, a fantasy kind of microcosm of New York. It's you know yeah. only the elements that that he wants you to to yeah. relate to. Do you relate right. to uh, the house? The the house that they live in is like might as well be a character in and of itself. Um, mm. I don't know. There's just so much, so much I like about it, and I mean, I just, I just rewatched it recently, and um, there's just, I mean, funny lines that I think about all the time, and um, just the characters. Yeah. I, I think it's funny you talking about the idea of like him showing you what he wants to show you out of New York because it's true. It's like you know, like the like the the bird coop up at the top sure. of the building is certainly like a staple of like the city, but it's like it almost seems out of place given the kind of, you know, house they live in, like, you know, to some degree. But Yeah, it's like, I think there's there's three or four specific scenes that take place on various rooftops of, like, this, you know, small small part, unrecognizable. I mean, it's not, you know, not looking at the Empire State, State Building or anything like that. It's just these, like, random rooftops um, and just kind of strange locales. I mean, you know, the... the uh, Gene Hackman as Royal is is living in a hotel. Right, <laughs> he's, yeah. you know he's been living there for for many years. And, you know, and it's just you know some ridiculous it's almost like two decades or something. Yeah, yeah point, I think it's like yeah. seventeen years. Right, um, and so you know it's just uh, 
There's just a lot of fascinating stuff in the movie. Yeah, there's also the ta- I, I I don't think I ever noticed before. I've only seen it twice before I watched it this week again, but it's um. Um, I noticed the taxi cabs this time is like there's like two companies I think in the they're movie. both they're but both, they're <laughs> they're all gypsy cabs. Uh, all of them. Are? Yeah, they're all they're all there's gypsy a, cabs. You never see you never see like a yellow cab. Oh right, they're not yellow and they're, they're all beat the hell. Oh yeah, they're all <laughs> because they're they're playing you know they're they're playing the role of these gypsy cabs, which of course in New York are are just unmarked like mm-hmm. independent you know cabs that shouldn't be shouldn't be doing but this is like in this world in this new york they're actually labeled gypsy right and right, they you right. know and they're yeah they're all they'll beat up missing windows and stuff so um there ha- what what do you think makes what what do you connect with in it do you think like that i don't know let me think about that for a second mm-hmm. um I mean that's a very good question. I don't. I don't think I've ever thought about, you know, maybe just the the father son kind of mm-hmm. thing. I mean, I didn't come from a big family, mm-hmm. um, but I think intellectually I get where the various siblings are coming from. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, Richie, the 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 tennis pro. Uh, you know, he's he's always been the favorite, and mm-hmm. um, I mean, he's arguably the main character of the movie. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of interesting to see how the other siblings respond to him. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I have any strong personal connection to it. Yeah. Who's your favorite? Like, what's the what's your favorite character or performance out of it? Um. That's that's also. I mean, Gene Hackman. It's yeah, it's right. so easy. It's so easy to say Gene Hackman because he yeah. is just every scene he's in, he steals. Um. He's, you know, he's very, just very funny in this movie. I don't, I don't know that he's uh, been as funny in any movie other than maybe like Get Shorty. Right. I mean, yeah, which I mean, the, and those are the two that stick out in terms of his comedic turns, like in movies too. But he's, I mean, he's one of my favorite actors. Yeah. I mean, of all time. But it's a, it's a far, it's a far crack in the conversation, you know, like, I mean, right. something like that with like Hackman where it's like, apparently, and I, we talked about this during when we talked about the conversation. Um, previously, but it's like he um, he was really uncomfortable taking that role because apparently, like, like this is more of who he really is. Is mm, like the, the royal the, character mm. is much more closer to life of how he's he's you know he's really personable. He talks a lot, you know, like you know maybe talks too much even, and like so like the conversation like that kind of stuff like really like you know kind of messed with him a little bit trying to get in that character's head and mm. you know because um, it's totally different from who he is. So it's like. It seems like this is almost like him, like hyper stylized in some way. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I think I like the arc of the movie that you know he he comes back he comes back to the home out of necessity, right? Um, getting weaseling his way in on lies by saying he's he's dying, <laughs> but he's not. But he is. Oh, right. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, right. A great scene. Yeah. Um, and Angelica Houston is of course you know amazing. Um, but you know, so his his arc starts. He's come. He comes back. He weasels into the home by lying. Mm-hmm. Then it just turns out that his his kids and his uh, grandsons end up in the home, mm-hmm. and so he basically latches onto that by sitting, you know, like to reconnect with not only his children but now his grandchildren who he's never met before, mm-hmm. and you know, turns it into like I don't know a roller coaster ride. I mean, like you know. Uh, he's involved with with all of them now to one degree or another, trying to like reconnect as if he was dying. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and somehow it all it all kind of works out. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I really, like, considered that much about, like, the... There's a message. There's some kind of message there, like, and I don't know, like, what it is. I haven't really thought about, like, what the message is there, like, yeah. honestly. Um, there's something buried underneath all that. that... It, it, I mean, it could very well be, you know, if you if you do the right thing for the wrong reasons... Right, yeah. Yeah. Is it yeah. is it still the right thing? Right, and yeah, yeah. you know, based on this, right. yeah, it probably is. Right, because that's where he ultimately ends up is doing the right thing for the right reasons. You know, right. I mean, because I mean, that's like one of the at least for me, like watching it like, again, like that's one of the more touching things is at the end when he actually starts being a father. Sure, you know, and it's almost like admitting that he doesn't know how to be a father. Oh, who, yeah, when, yeah. He, when he missed that Absolutely. finally, it's yeah. like that's when he starts being a real father. Like at the end of that, and um. I, so yeah, maybe you're, there's, yeah. there's so many. I mean, especially the flashback scenes to when the kids are young and and they're like showing uh, his daughter puts on her first play and uh, yeah. and has like all all three kids are in the play and they're, she goes like, so what do you think? And he's like, I don't know. I just wasn't. I just wasn't convinced. Like I just you know like yeah. he's he's critiquing it critiquing it as if it was like an actual like Broadway play or something right. like you know seriously not just. Some kids putting on a play, right? She's like eight or nine years old. Or yeah, something. yeah, and like he never, never gives them an inch. Like, you know, he's just treating them as, as adults. Yeah. Um, what are some of the other scenes? Since you're talking about scenes that oh, kind of stand out to you that really like, that you really love in it. I mean, there's uh, there's so much good stuff with Margot. Um, just her so her her whole persona and like her um, her marriage to uh, Bill Murray mm-hmm. and cheating on him, and I mean, like there's. There's so much. There's just so much stuff going on in the movie, um, and Ben Stiller as uh, I forget his name. Um, I know the kids are Ari and Uzi. Yeah, yeah, I can't um, remember Ben Stiller's name. Yeah. Um, Chaz. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Chaz. Yeah. Um, With an S. Yeah. yeah. But yes, yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't know. There's there's just so much. There's so much stuff, and then I mean now, and it's Owen Wilson as the the neighbor who always wants to wanted to be a Tannenbaum and basically like right, yeah. uh, you know injected himself into the family as like the fourth kid mm-hmm. and now he's having some degree of success and really is looking for acceptance but at the same time being incredibly self-destructive mm-hmm. um, yeah. and really, to some, to really some ludicrous character that character oh absolutely like, yeah absolutely um, and I think I think to some degree or another all of the kids were kind of self-destructive sure. for, for different reasons um but they were all they, they could never none of them could match that uh, level of success that they had. They all peaked too early. I mean, that's you know, yeah. um, isn't that really a common theme though of like Anderson is that like the absentee father or the father mm-hmm. who can't show like true paternal love like causes these neuroses. Because I mean, like, and I'll talk about it in Life Aquatic, yeah. but like, yeah. look at Rushmore. Like Rushmore is the same thing yeah. where the What's his name, Max? Yeah, Max. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. through Bill Murray and even um, the Barber character. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't have a father and is looking for this father figure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just... No, it, it certainly jumped out watching these two movies in back-to-back nights. Yeah. In that, like, it was... It, I thought of it how it was uh, be an easy essay to write. Right. <laughs> um, like, you know, if I were, like, you know, taking these two movies, the theme is, is the father. Like, and all I it mean, takes is the father showing love in... Anderson's universe where sure. that is the like salve that fixes mm-hmm. like Absolutely. most of the emotional problems. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's definitely a common theme, like, running through, like, at least these, like, those three movies, I think. Um, and this, Wes Anderson's parents were divorced, and, mm. um, you know, partially he, he did Royal Tenenbaums about his parents' divorce, but um, he said that very early on it, it wildly diverges from anything having to do with his parents, sure. other than the initial kind of premise that right. they're divorced. Um, but maybe it goes deeper than that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah you right. Know, maybe yeah, it's sure. you know. No, I'm sure. I'm yeah. It, it definitely. You can't have a theme like that without it being autobiographical in some way. I think. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you're critical of when you watch the movie? I'm. Uh, I'm really not. I mean, because. You know, I watched. I literally watched it twice this week, and I mean. From from beginning to end, I'm really really enamored with with everything about it. I mean, I think the pacing's really good. I think um, I don't know. I mean, like I'm I'm curious to. I'm I'm hoping you have some criticism of it that I can respond to. But yeah. I can't think of anything that I don't really enjoy about the movie. Um, yeah, it just I, seems really tight and really well done, and um, I like it a lot. One one thing that seems to be common among critics who um, give it negative reviews is. Um, uh, is, is, is a lack of character like one note characters it's like a lack of characterization like strong characterization in the movie that there's no complexity really like to those characters um, so um, like uh, Andrew Saris of the Observer says the problem uh, with this movie is similar to the one George Orwell discerned in the novel of Charles Dickens once your characters are endowed with too much color and strangeness it's difficult to make them interact with the other characters in a coherent narrative the Tenenbaums and the equally eccentric characters around them work so hard at being distinctive soloists that they lose contact with the rest of the ensemble. Mr. Anderson is not lacking in cleverness and ingenuity as a filmmaker, but it takes something more to produce a dramatically and emotionally satisfying movie. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I found... I, found, I don't even think the characters were all that quirky or whatever word they used in there. But, I mean, strange. They, they, they had, you know, I don't know. They seemed, in this world, in this kind of fable world, they seemed perfectly believable to me. They seemed, Well, I'll give you something else. To yeah. say. Stephanie um, Zacherick says about them, uh, most of the characters, particularly Stillers, feel vague and unshaped. The device of dressing the present-day characters in grown-up versions of the same clothes they wore as kids feels forced and gimmicky. Uh, in all cases but one, which is you talk goes on to talk about Paltrow um, being that way. And then, um, let's see, another person from Slate talks about how um, it feels like really these actors are like trapped in these like, you know, personas, like, you know, as opposed to being um, fully like actual real characters. And I, w- I would argue that the actual characters are trapped in those personas in that they're, they're basically, they're their development, you know, their arrested development, their their development ceased when they had their initial successes as young people, and that's where they kind of stuck. That's why, you know, Richie's still wearing, like, you know, his, his sure. tennis gear all the time. And, mm-hmm. But then you see, you know, you see evolution through this, where they, you know, where he, you know, finally shaves his beard and his hair, and, uh, I mean, you see some some development that there's a chance that they will actually sure even a suicide way. attempt. I sure, mean, yeah. I mean, so yeah. I think I think both of those. I, I think your point, Easter, is true, and I think that criticism is true as well. 
Like, and I think that if you don't look at it from the perspective of it being a fable, like, right. again, yes. what I see is, and I, I love the Royal Tenenbaums, I think it's a fantastic movie, but I understand that criticism from, like, that perspective, that it is sort of... If you're looking for an emotionally satisfying, like, Chaz, like, which is particularly mentioned by a couple different reviewers, like, that character, the Ben Stiller character, in that he's just a one-note character, it's like, okay, he's, like become even more eccentric and OCD because of his wife's death, you know, and, you know, like, that's all his character is throughout most of the movie, you know, um, and I, um, I get it, like, I mean, I get what they're saying, but, like, I think Easter calling it a fable, I think, is, um, like, clarified for me, like, well, yeah, it, that's because it's a fable, right. like, you know, I mean, like, he's not, and, and there is just one He's not complex, but he is dynamic. There is a change that takes place. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, I think that I mean, if, if, you, if you're talking about Chaz, I mean, yeah. Chaz, you know, he obviously has, you know, lost his wife. Mm-hmm. And so that's very traumatic. And he has two kids who mm-hmm. he's obviously trying to raise by himself and keep everybody safe. And, yeah, he's, he's super neurotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also never had, never had the father figure. He had the father, you know, before they were divorced. But he was never. He always played second fiddle to, uh, to Richie. So I mean, you know, he's trying to, you know, he, he's full. He's full of kind of like almost rage because mm-hmm. of that. So I think that in all Wes Anderson movies, character change comes through circumstance and through plot, as opposed to complex evolution through sure. dialogue and action. Does that sure. make sense? Yeah, sure. It's like. I'm this thing now, here's an event, now I'm this thing, as opposed to a subtle, gradual change throughout the time. But, like... Well, the only character that has that in Tenenbaums, to me, is probably Gene Hackman. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, he's the one that gradually changes, where all the kids are changing as a result of him to some degree. And, again... Which, again, is putting the father front and center. Yeah. And, from the perspective of being a fable, that works. Because that's, you know... It's more about theme than it is about whatever, like, deep characterization. But from a critical standpoint, like, someone who's just watching the movie without having that perspective, I can see, like, why they would say that it's kind of one note or it's, like, a little too quirky for its own good. Yeah, I can can see the criticism that they're looking for it to be, to go back to that analogy, if they're looking for it to be the squid and the whale, yes, the characters (laughs) would be... Right. One note, but it's, but it's why you can watch the Royal Tenenbaums like a dozen times in your life and still enjoy it, and why I could never go back and watch the Squid and the Whale again. Sure, right, right. Like I don't need to get beat down every time I watch a movie, right? Like sometimes I just want to enjoy what I'm watching, right? Yeah. Um, I almost somehow equate the the Wes Anderson movies to like you know the uh, Richard Scarry books, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. where it has you know it's just mm-hmm. you know you have a big, big book, big picture, right. whole bunch of little little things going on. And you're kind of left your imagination to fill in the blanks, like what's going on, like yeah. what's going on here, and that's it's it's kind of a similar feel for that's me. That's a that's that's an apt analogy, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, that is what um, some people criticized, like Anderson being too um, too clever, like which is bad criticism, but it's like. Uh, I think in some ways, but like the I, but I think what they're getting at is like you know, 
maybe some of that, like, you know, whimsy, maybe that Frank was talking about when they talk about those kind of things, and that, like, some of the feeling of the movie is just forced. Mm. Um, and one reviewer talked particularly about, like, the scene where, um, oh, what what is the, what, what's the name of the Falcon? I've forgotten. Mordecai. Mordecai. Um, like, which actually, like, to me, like, and maybe it's because I'm a sucker for animals or stuff like that, but it's like, when Mordecai comes back, like, you know, and I can't remember what song's playing in the background, but that song's mm-hmm. playing, and, like, Mordecai comes back, mm-hmm. and they talk specifically about that, like, being forced in some way, like, a for- forced moment of feeling, and, like, it's like, maybe it is, but I thought it was still effective. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you had a, an emotional reaction to the, his, his childhood bird falcon coming home, then I don't think it was, like, forced upon you. I don't think it was... You know, um, I don't think you were being manipulated. I think you really felt that way, right? Yeah, and I, I think it also, you know, it, it mirrors the connection that he's reforming with his father mm-hmm. at the same time. And I think sure. they, they're having a conversation on a rooftop, and he comes back, and I mean right. that's like, yeah, you know, and he's changed, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. Um, and and Mordecai's changed, and mm-hmm. you know, resembling his change, you know, like representing his change. But know. again, that 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 do sex machina is more in line with something that is like, um, like a fable or a, oh, sure, sure, um, whatever. I can't think of the word. That I, I mean, we're talking we're talking about a movie where the twelve year old kid had a had a falcon that right. to let. I mean, so it's like you know, it's not it's not a stretch. You know, you have to you have to have some. Suspension of disbelief or something. Yeah. You well, know? because you're looking at allegory, you're not looking at right. sure. Like again, like some deep, complex. Yeah. Right, and that's why, and, and, and so I agree that if that's what they're looking for, the character's not complex. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll agree with that, but I don't think that's what those movies are about necessarily. So for what they are, like in terms of like you know, the, you know, they they hit those characters really well. Like, right. I, mean, I think in like pushing their story forward, um, you know, for each of those characters. I think uh, you know. I think the audience is left to add any sort of um, absent complexity to the characters. Right, but some people just can't do that. Yeah. Um, okay, any last thoughts on um, Royal Tenenbaums? Um, no, I don't believe so. Okay, so let's go ahead and Oh, did you have the to... review from the, the guy who hates everything? Dave oh, Kerr. Dave Kerr did... Uh, I, there was no review from Hopefully Dave Kerr. Hopefully he was dead. Mm-hmm. Wow, he, he disliked yeah. it that much. Like, I'm not, I'm, I, I haven't looked up to see if Dave Kerr is dead or not. Right? No, he's like, not. He's, he's actually... Not. He's actually, like, the curator of the... Shit Museum? American... <laughs> no, he's, like, of some, like, New York Museum of Movie History or something? Oh, yeah. He's just sitting there, like, glaring at everything. Well, like, you're one of the few people that I think that has, like, listened to every podcast besides um, a random person in Sweden. Thank you, person in Sweden. Um, and but, email email Chris, because he wants to hear. Yeah, I, I, would, I would love to get feedback, since uh, you're the only other person that listens to all of these episodes um, so far besides Easter. Yeah, so Dave Kerr. Is it Kerr? Karen? Kerr? Kerr, Kerr I think. Kerr. Yeah. Uh, he's the curator in the Department of Film of the Museum of Modern Art. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> does that make you hate him more, Frank? It's 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 just it's just unjust. I don't know. Um, like I'm trying to think of a good analogy that doesn't involve like Hitler, but <laughs> I I don't know. What to mind. Yeah, it's I I've been finding it really weird because it's always um, Chicago Reader where I find Dave Kerr's reviews. 
but suddenly, like, you know, different things we've been doing recently, I've been finding them in different places, like Chicago Tribune he does some for, but then there's, like, New York, so, oh, yeah, New York. So he is still doing some more recently. You know, he's, he moved there at some point probably and started doing reviews. So I've been finding Dave Curry reviews in other newspapers now rather than the Chicago Reader. Well, that sounds really disturbing. So how could you take someone with such a lack of understanding of the basic principles of what makes film great and put him in charge of, like, curating film? Well, the funny thing is it's, like, it's not just that, like, you know, like, the, that's taste. The fact is, like, we've been reading his reviews for quite a while on here as is kind of like a joke. But part of the joke is the fact he, he seems to disdain a lot of films. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, he, he just doesn't, like, you know, it's not it's not even, okay, understanding, but it's like, he just feels like every movie he just has to shit on in some right. way. Wait, I, so if, I just interject yeah. here because I found that um, in 2001, Dave Kerr did... Uh, Capsule reviews of his ten favorite movies of two thousand one. Okay, the very first one is the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, okay. All right. At a time when Hollywood movies yeah. seemed to be nothing but self-conscious recyclings of ancient comic book cliches, Wes Anderson walks in with a bursting bag full of ideas presented as the story of an eccentric New York family of geniuses. With reference points from Thurber to Faulkner, it represents the the American idiom at its finest and most distinctive. Mm. I just imagine Dave Kerr's watching Birth of a Nation on repeat and, like, can never get past anything else. I really like our view of David Kerr, Dave Kerr, like, the most. But he also, like, so the other, the, like, the character we've created out of Dave Kerr is much other, better than the reality. The other movies are Taylor of Panama, Emily, uh, Waking Life, The Circle, uh, Fat Girl, the French, French movie. Right, yeah, that's a good movie. Um, Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> and Lord of the Kings, The Fellowship of the Rings. <laughs> oh, The Chronicle of Corpses. And I don't know what that is. But... And Eureka. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I don't know most of those movies. Um, so You know what, though? Like, even though that was a positive review of Royal Tenenbaums, it just shits on everything. <laughs> right, like, yeah. the dude can't just say, like, hey, this is a great movie, yeah. and it, like, yeah. has all this good stuff. He's like, oh, everything else is trash. Well, Let yeah. me watch Shrek. <laughs> Although yeah. I do enjoy Shrek. Yeah, me too. That Girl's a really uncomfortable movie to watch. Probably yeah. not anything I would recommend for anyone to see. And really telling that he enjoys that movie. That pervert. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to the Frankier movie, which is what? Uh, Life Aquatic. Life Aquatic. With Steve Zizou. Yes, um, which is 2004. It's his very next movie um, starring Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Kate Blanchett, Angelica Houston, Jeff Goldblum, Willem Dafoe. Um, it has a 56 from critics on Rotten Tomatoes hmm. and an 82 from the audience, a 62 on Metacritic. Um, do you want to go ahead and just briefly explain what this movie is about and what, why, why you chose it? So Bill Murray plays Steve Zizou, who is a Jacques Cousteau-esque um, oceanographer and filmmaker. Um, sort of implied from the very beginning that a lot of his oceanography, whatever, like his films are fabricated. Um, he's kind of fallen out of favor with like the community at large, um, fallen on sort of hard times where he doesn't really have any money anymore, like he's not as wealthy as he once was, um, is confronted uh, by Owen Wilson, who plays Ned, or Kingsley Zizou, as he's later renamed, <laughs> um, 
as his possible son from like a previous like affair like decades before. Um, also, Kate Blanchett comes on board like their vessel, or actually she goes and they go to his island where there's like obvious fake like luminescent jellyfishes okay. on the beach. Um, and she comes because she's doing an article on Zizu, um, which he consistently tries to get to her to admit is the cover the cover piece. Um, so it's just a series of like adventures with Owen Wilson trying to connect with the Bill Murray character like on a father son level. A lot of question is whether or not that's real. Um, an examination of how terrible Zizu has kind of like treated the people in his life for all this time, even though like most of those people have maintained a huge amount of loyalty to him. Um, you know, a- Anderson's really good at like using the same actors, mm-hmm. but in completely different ways. But again, like similar to what you know, Easter was talking about with um, uh, the Gene Hackman character in Tenenbaums. Like Zizu is a gruff egotistical self-centered man who has no ability to really i don't know like build anyone else without building himself at the same time like it always has to relate back to his needs and his wants and his perception of like his own fame um but really well done um personally i feel like i've I'm curious to hear some of those critical reviews because to me, I think that a lot of people don't, I I think the majority of the movie is not real. I think the majority of the movie is you watching them film a movie to try and bolster his fame again and recoup some of like, like to rebuild his finances and recoup like his lost celebrity. And I think there's a lot of visual cues in the movie that show that what you're seeing is not necessarily what's actually happening. It's almost like a fourth wall breaking where you're actually watching a movie within a movie that's being filmed by the crew of the, um, shit, what's the name of their boat? Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say Beatrice, but that's not right at all. No, no, Oh, Jacqueline um, was the name that was crossed out on his right in Deep Search. Yes, <laughs> and also he has the tattoo where Jacqueline's crossed out, and then right, right, and he search. does it right. Yeah. Um, oh, I uh, the Belafonte. Belafonte. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have remembered that. Mm-hmm. Um, but even from the very beginning, like the the opening scene where they're at the they're screening his film, and then there's a Q and A where Esteban, mm-hmm. who's like his closest friend, dies. Mm-hmm. Obviously, all staged. You know, and like watching it again, I'm really firmly convinced that you're seeing a production within the film that you're watching. And there's one there's one particular moment. So part of the plot involves that they get this um bondsman um who's looking over their finances, who gets kidnapped. Yeah, yeah, Budcourt in like an amazing role. Yeah. We 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 fucking stole it, man. <laughs> like one of one of the best lines in the movie. Yeah. Budcourt who gets kidnapped by like the Filipino. Yeah, Filipino pirates. Yeah. And there's this like ridiculous like the gunfights in the movie. Like, yeah. These ridiculous like yeah. swashbuckling scenes that are obviously not real sure. from this old man. I counted this time. It's over 30 times he fires the gun. <laughs> right. And 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 there's times where it's noticeable if you watch it closely. He fires a gun and no shot comes out. So Jeff Goldblum in like one of the best performances in this movie, yeah. in, as um, 
uh, Hennessy, yeah. like Ulysses Alistair Hennessy. He gets shot at almost point blank range yeah. by a Filipino, right. and is like virtually in the heart. Yeah, thirty right. seconds later, just running, <laughs> like holding, holding his ribs <laughs> and like jogging yeah. along at the same pace as everybody else. So, uh, to to the point that it, it's a fable, like. I think that the themes of the movie, it's about like the family and it's about mm-hmm. what, what, what constitutes like a family unit, like what makes someone your family, does it matter if they're your blood or does it matter just about like your level of affection for them, right? Because it's revealed pretty early on, well, about halfway through the movie by Angelica Houston that Zizu is impotent, or impotent, like yeah. he can't, he's like, sterile. produce children. Yeah, he's sterile. Uh-huh. He's, he's shooting blanks. Yeah. Yeah. So that... Probably Owen Wilson, that Ned's probably not his son. But isn't Ned, like, in some way his son just because, like, he accepts him as his son? Mm-hmm. And isn't Hennessy kind of, like, you know, his brother? And, like, they have this whole group of people. Um, oh, and you also have Carl. You have Willem Dafoe. Yeah, Carl right, Dafoe, who, who really wants to be. Who says that him and Esteban, I always thought of you as my dad's. Right, right. Yeah. So it, it really is just about, like... Where Steve's ego, though, says we always thought of you as our little brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, which is funny because they seem to be like roughly the same age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I really think that like all those scenes, especially when they raid the, whatever, the, the compound, the ruined the, hotel yeah, yeah, yeah. on the island uh-huh. is showing that none of these things are real. Like all of these things are just fake. And it's also because Hennessy has also kind of fallen on hard times and is basically using like them sinking his ship. To gain, like, his fortune back through, like, bank fraud, basically. Because, oh, well, look, there's video evidence that I was kidnapped by these Filipinos and they rescued me. Right. And, I don't know, it's it's all very... The, the thing that I think, to me, solidifies the fact that none of it is real, and it's them acting, is at the end of the movie when they're, they leave the the second, like, award ceremony, the second screening of, like, you know, whatever. The new movie. The new movie. Yeah. And they're going back to the Belafonte. And as they go across the, um, the dock, Owen Wilson is clearly on top yeah. of the boat. Sure. Right. And I guess you could view that as, like, that's the spirit of yeah, Ned, that's, like, that's kind, And that's them. kind of what Wes Anderson says in the commentary, is that it's, like, he, it's very vague, and it's, yeah. like, you know, he's not very clear. But, it's, like, a spirit of some sort, but he doesn't want to talk about so it. So here's, here's, here's two points where I think it clearly shows that it's, it's fake. And I think that's, that to me, that's like the thing that solidifies it. Mm-hmm. Early on in the movie, after Owen Wilson meets um, Zizou for the first time, and they kind of talk about this idea that he could be his son, mm-hmm. they play Life on Mars, mm-hmm. which is a song about like watching something through a screen, like mm-hmm. connecting to it as a viewer, like a, a disconnected viewer as, a, as if it is like on cinema. Right. And that's where it starts where they go into this adventure. Like, that's the beginning of the adventure. And then they have the blow-up scene, which I think is real, where Zizu is pissed that Ned has had sex with the Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. character. I think that actually happens. I do, too. But then, after that, when they kind of reconcile, they're in the film editing room, and Zizu tells them, okay, cut to this, play the Ned music. And then the Ned music plays throughout the entire time when they're going on the island in the Philippines, like up until the mm-hmm. point they get to the hotel. Mm-hmm. So from that point to the end where they're actually going to the ship, 
like him sitting there smoking the joint, like with the little kid outside of the, yeah. because he's, he knows he's already won. Like he doesn't even need to be in there sure. to witness the adulation because he knows the adulation is coming. From the point where he says, okay, play the Ned music to that point, that's all fake. Like yeah. all that part of the movie is just meant to basically, like it's them setting up the fact that Ned doesn't want to be like a central figure. Like he really just wanted to be like a backer. Like I want to like right. finance you, yeah, yeah, and like you be my dad, right? And it gets and you know it absolves. And Ziso sees the opportunity to make him a central character to for the documentary, right? Exactly, and and, and like you know sees that opportunity and takes you know and, takes it to its furthest, right. end, but its furthest end, which is finding his son and then killing his son to get you know like. But a, so the there's other there's other visual cues in the way that it's directed too because. I mean, I don't know how much either of you watched, like, like Jacques Cousteau when you were young. Like, I used to watch, um, I can't remember what the show was called, but it used to rerun on PBS. Sure. When I was a kid. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's a very distinct visual style to the way that Anderson films certain scenes in the movie that are very similar to the way that Cousteau would film, like, his, you know, like, islands in the distance and the water and boats and whatnot. Mm-hmm. When the helicopter crashes and they're in the water, yeah. it's filmed from the perspective that you know that you're in the audience in that theater watching that happen. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that anybody, if that's an accident, is filming that part of the scene. Sure. Whereas other times when it's like... And a br- brilliant, though, in the sense of like being able to watch that water wash up on the camera right. and it mm-hmm. becomes red with the blood. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, it's so well done. Like, it, But also a callback to when Esteban gets killed. Sure. When, when you know, Murray, like, rises to the surface and has got the crazy eyes. Right. right. <laughs> um, and there's just, like, the blood, like, tilling around the uh-huh. propeller. Like, sure. So, and I know that, you know, I, I've never listened to the commentary. Both of you were talking about this earlier, mm-hmm. like, prior to us recording, mm-hmm. where Anderson, like, won't really talk about that yeah. end scene. Like, I think it really is just a visual cue that you're seeing that everybody kind of got what they wanted. Mm-hmm. The boat's repaired, right. you know, they're able to go back and he's able to be, like, mm-hmm. the man he wants to be. Right. And Ned is able to get his dad without having to be, like, this, you know, he can be with Kate Blanchett, like, they can mm-hmm. they can have a kid together and sure. they don't have to be in, like, the public eye. Well, when you watch it, he's in his um, pilot outfit right. on top of that thing. Which I like, think which means, means he's, he's going gone to... back to his previous sure. yeah, yeah. But he has a father now. You right. know, whether that's because I, actually I, his father or not. He... If he was up there in his, like, Team Zizu outfit. Sure. I would I would agree that maybe that's right, yeah. showing that he's like now mm-hmm. the guiding force. But I think the right. fact that he is just what he was before mm-hmm. when he says like I could have just I should have just stayed in Kentucky and never right. come never come yeah. down to you. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I think that uh, I think that um watching it again when they walk through what's obviously like a set and like he shows you the different parts of the ship. Right. The Belafonte, like that's actually the reality there's some degree like it's like those scenes that are set in that set are actually the reality so like what you were talking about when they get upset and like they punch each other like that's reality right like when even when they're up on top of the that's um, such a funny scene it is you yeah. don't tell someone you're gonna right. fight them you're <laughs> a sucker punch right. <laughs> before that when like before they get into an argument but they're up at the top and there's that awkward exchange it's like where bill murray's like you know have you found what you're looking for right with me out here I used to think that was, like, part of the documentary. I don't think it is. I think that that's part of the reality. Anything that takes place kind of, like, you know, 
like that, like at night and like all those things. I think all that's reality. I think what it's signifying is that um, Steve is actually more awkward in reality, like dealing with the reality. Oh, of sure, it. he has no then, idea. But when it's the cameras on and the documentary is being filmed, he's he's yeah. much easier to like you know be on front of the camera and actually talk to somebody when that's happening. Um, so it's like he knows how to act his role, but when the reality hits him, he doesn't. He's awkward and stilted and doesn't know how to actually behave. Yeah. I think you, you guys, it's an interesting, interesting concept. I think you're adding, you're adding an extra layer to the movie that I, I just don't think is there. I mean, I get it. I get how you're, you know, explaining it and you're rationalizing it, but I, I don't think that was the intent. I think it's one hundred percent the intent. I think I I think the I I think I think Zissou was you know made popular documentaries and yes has fallen on hard times and I think in everything he's doing throughout the movie after the initial you know film festival or whatever he's trying to make the next movie that will kind but of he's, put he's put fabricating all of it. It's all fabricated. There's no such thing as the leopard shark. Jaguar shark, shark, Jaguar, Jaguar shark. shark. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a CGI like. No, it's not even stop CGI. Motion. It's yeah, yeah, right, yeah, it's yeah, animation. Yeah. Right. None of that stuff is real. They have Esteban filmed in front of a green screen with like a series of what, some ridiculous named fish like swimming behind him. Yeah. He's just like, like arms crossed, yeah. shaking his head. Yeah, yeah, but I mean that's that's All, that's, that's in so, the movie. That's in the movie. The see, like, I, aquatic. That's right. not. Yeah, it was the fluorescent snapper. I see. I think you're missing. <laughs> that's what you're talking about. I, I, I think you're missing the actual intent of the movie, which is the fact that none of it is real. It's all fabricated. And Hennessy says that in, like, the second scene of the movie, like, oh, does it even exist? Like, right. Oh, like, and, and then there's but, a reference but, early on. It's in never the, existed. It's actually one of the ah. first lines of the movie is, like, you've been accused of, like, you know, like, at the award ceremony. Sure. Like, you've been accused of, like, you know, faking your movies right. and stuff. Oh, like, it's get, actually established right away. I get like, that. I get that part. So I get none that of it's real. I get that he's, well, I get that he is fabricating... Uh, things for his documentaries mm-hmm. and you know perhaps the I, I don't even know what uh, Kate Blanchett said about the uh, uh, the jellyfish she said I think she said they're Portuguese man of war right they're, they're, yeah there's something and else he just and, with his toe right, he's yeah. like oh yeah yeah right yeah. <laughs> but I mean in reality they're yeah these plastic bowls with right. lights under them mm-hmm. but in in the movie they're they're actually no, but that, but that's the thing is you're missing the point that they're not they're all fake like all of it's fake. But there's nothing there's nothing shown to you in the movie The Life Aquatic that that would actually prove that. Right, but that's because you're not you're missing the point of the movie. I, I, well, I think so, I think there are visual even, cues on it. Even in actually. ways that like camera movement, film stock, mm-hmm. angles, everything. There's certain scenes that are filmed that are naturalistic. And are actual events that are happening between the people that are actors in this movie. And then they're acting in a movie that you're in the audience watching at the end of that movie. And that's, like you said yourself, like he fires the gun 30 times. It's, it's yeah. like, we're, like well, none it's of even that like stuff is real. When, when Ned, okay, so there are two other things I can like point out that it's like character development stuff that, you know... I can see it from the idea that it's just a fable and that's how these things go. But I also think, I, I, I'm convinced that Frank's right in, in, in this because of two more things. Like, one is, like, they wrap up characters very quickly. Mm. Like, you know, so it's like, you know, um, you know, 
Alistair Hennessy's shown as, you know, this other, like, male figure that might be a, a romantic rival in some way. Absolutely. And then at the yeah. very end, suddenly it's wrapped up. It's like, you know, well, you know, it's not a big deal because I'm part gay. And it's like, that's the end of the story. <laughs> right. like, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Like, so it's like this joke because he's, they always thought he was gay. And it's like, you know, well, I'm part gay. You know, it's like, that's the end of the story. It's like, it's almost like somebody like Steve just sat down and like wrote his character off real quick in the documentary. Well, the other thing was he was always was a commercial rival to Zizou, but also like, has fallen on some financial hard times. I don't. I don't think that he necessarily was. I mean, he had all the latest equipment and his right his sea base, and which they then have to sink his like well, yeah, expensive the, the, vessel. Well, the ship, the ship, the 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 pirates. What the the pirates took it over? Right. The pirate. The quote unquote pirates, pirates aren't even right, real yeah. pirates. Yeah, I don't believe. I don't. Yeah, I don't believe that those pirates are real. Like, nine all, like, na- nine dudes playing poker. With him, well, then the Ned stuff. When Ned dies, it all—it's too, it's too much. Like you know, it's like okay, so everything in that sequence, like leading up to that, is like okay, so Klaus comes over and is like, oh, like you know, I just wanted to let you know, like you know, I'm so appreciative of. I'm on the dolphin, right? Yeah, right. He's on the (laughs) right. Yeah, the K is under the dolphin, and that really means so much to him. Um, so it's like that that gets solved, and then it's like you know they're up in the damn helicopter, and it's like I always kept your letter too, and it's like you know, and right. then we get this reveal that it's like Steve's not a bad guy after all that like abandoned his kid, and gets he, to have their reconciliation moment in the waves as he's dying, <laughs> as he's dying, right? Yes, and gets every single thing he needs to say out as right. he dies yes. until the camera sinks under the waves, right. and then, and then jump cut to, to, to sure. nobody particularly upset. That right, Ned is yeah. dead as they're burying him. Yeah. and but the thing is, is we'll never be able to find his body. So there's never any proof that Ned like, like, carried him to. Yeah, but true. that's why I find it like I actually find the movie still touching though, despite having that view of it even more so at times because like when he when they find the jaguar shark and they're all under there and it's all staged to me like right. it's not real. Obviously but, like, not in the but I think it's like real emotion that he's feeling. Like uh, when he yeah, starts I, crying, oh, I agree. It's like because the it's like. It's like he actually feels fulfilled finally in that moment. It has nothing to do with the damn Jaguar. Yeah. You know, it's like he actually has made, he's actually found a son and a human connection that actually has got, got him past that, you know, um, you know, marijuana addled, like, you know, right. like, um, cynicism and like selfishness to where he actually is feeling something. Um, and so like, I mean, I still find the movie extremely like moving at different times. Um, despite like how ridiculous the whole thing is, it is like, well sure. And in, in that in that sub scene, I mean, you had like the entire crew, you had like twelve people in the right, in the, right, in the right. sub. It's all ma- maximum all, six people, all laying yeah. hands on right. Steve Zizou. But before that, they're all looking out the windows, and you see like uh, what like uh, uh, Hennessy sees one of his his research turtles, turtles. <laughs> peek in yeah. the window right. with his, right. his little right. like. Yeah. Yeah. So he has like he has some sort sure. of uh, some sort of closure. Like, because they all get closure. They all get their storylines ended. And the final storyline that gets ended is everyone who Steve has wronged over the course of his life absolving him of his wrongs because he doesn't want to kill the Jaguar shark. And I think the most important thing, like, in that movie is, like, when he's, like, sitting there with the award next to him smoking a joint and that kid comes out and he leaves the award and picks the kid up and puts him on his shoulders, it's, like, it's the recognition, finally, that, like, he's, he's... He's learned how to 
actually be a human being with all these people. I agree and, with that. You know, and it's like the award who what she was striving for doesn't matter anymore. Right. You know, and it's like if that if that's the case, you know, I mean, it doesn't. I, I definitely think it insinuates that it's all fake. Doesn't mean that Ned's death is fake necessarily, but it insinuates that the movie that he was making was to some degree staged. To me, the fact that like he's working towards that award, he wants it so bad, then he leaves it. Like that doesn't matter, you know. If he, if he, if he leaving it there means that he won it at that. I I think even the fact that the movie itself, it's not just the Life Aquatic. The full title of the movie is the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Mm-hmm. So you're watching the movie that the audience is watching that he wins the award for. And in the in the first scene when it ends with Esteban's death and they're like, what are you going to do to the whatever? And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to blow it up. And they're like, why would you blow it up? Revenge. Right. <laughs> and then that, again, it's like, it's him writing the perfect ending where like, he doesn't need that revenge anymore because he's grown. Right. And it allows people to, like, yeah. empathize with him and sure. love him again as, like, this celebrity figure. But it's like, you know, it's one of those things. It's like he, but, it, right, and through, like, trying to rehab his image, which he's obviously very conscious of, you know, like, he actually does grow. Right. You know, I mean. Um, and I think finds affection for this yeah, man that sure. may or may not be his son sure. and yeah. realizes, again, like, to the point of the Royal Tenenbaums, like, what 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 is a family unit like a family right. unit doesn't have to be like your biological child or sure. whatever like you can have like an extended large family of people that you love and have affection for based on your experiences with them as opposed to based on your biology so i don't know i mean i really enjoyed watching it again mm-hmm. um it's probably been two two years since i've seen it yeah. and i've probably seen it like six or seven times um, I'm actually like I'm curious. I want to hear some critical like. I'd like I'd like to hear if there was a, I'd, I'd love to hear if that was actually the intent because I mean yeah. that's that's a right. that's I feel like it's a stretch, but it's an interesting. It's definitely an interesting concept. Um, if 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 it's not the intent, then it's I, than, I think it's a bad movie. I do not like this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I agree. I I said that the other night to Brandy. I was <laughs> like because she's not sold on it necessarily, yeah. and um. And I said, like, if that's not the case, then I don't like this movie because it doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. Like, it, the, the movie does right, not make terrible. any sense. Yeah, it's, a, it's just it's, a it's bad movie It's an absolutely if horrible I, if I don't movie believe that. if it's not exactly the yeah. way that I, <laughs> that I understand it. <laughs> okay, Dave Kerr. <laughs> and if that's the case, then my answer is Fantastic Mr. Fox for my favorite Wes Anderson movie. And we're going to be here for another two this, hours. Right? This is a wasted podcast. So... <laughs> Um, so Stephen Hunter from the Washington Post, um, um, he, he criticizes Bill Murray saying that he thinks he's weirdly wrong for the role. Um, he says that he's a father figure, um, as full of bitterness as he is love, unable to control his aggressive impulses, his um, libido, his greed, his sloppiness, his expectation of external sensuality. Um, it's not Murray isn't a great comic actor. He is, but even though he's worked with Anderson before, he says he's weirdly wrong for the role. Somehow his passivity, his stock in trade, his signature, usually a beloved accent, seems to open a hole in the center of the story. He never seems as dynamic dynamic or as demonic as Hackman, um, talking about the world of Tenenbaums, um, and Kest around him isn't given much to act against his diffidence hamstrings the movie he has the weight 
of smoke or fog just as you get close to him he seems to separate so that's about Murray specifically um, right and it's because Steve Zizou is not a good actor I think I yes he's not he's like um see that's where again I think it's very I think it's very obvious when the camera is on him and he's acting because he overdoes it well yeah no, and I, when I, it's when the camera's not on him he's completely like you know just he doesn't know how to like you know right because he doesn't know how to make human connection right I, I yeah. love I love the scene at the beginning where they're showing the original movie and it's when Esteban's being eaten <laughs> and they're doing the subtitles and throwing this up <laughs> And he's like screaming. He's like, uh-huh. Esteban was eaten. And right. I don't remember the rest of it. Right. But it was, yeah. Like, it was a uh-huh. very large shark. I'm, he I'm was like swallowed whole. He was eaten. No, he was chewed up. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I felt the same thing. He's got the um, crazy eyes. But yeah, but, but I'm, I'm trying to think of another another scene in the movie where he's overacting that much. The, the shooting scene? The, shoot, the, the scene when the pirates invade the boat. Yeah. The scene when he's going through the hotel and they're looking for they, they find the dog and they find yeah. <laughs> Well he's like, Yeah, you left your damn, damn yeah. dog here, you yeah. amateur. But that was like, very that was very natural. That was yeah. not he was not acting at that point. <laughs> like they're they're running with like hundreds of bullets being shot and like no one is hit by a Oh yeah, no one yeah, that's hilarious too on the island when it's like He's like sitting there in the doorway shooting, and they're shooting at him. And these all these bullets are just going right. around and like not hitting him again. Like you know, and you said yeah. it yourself, Jason, that like Jeff Goldblum is shot in the heart basically, <laughs> and is fine. Uh huh. But I'm, I'm with, with with no medical attention. Oh, of course, just bandages just, wrapped just, around. Just, well, yeah, no, even before thing, that, like, just with the, literally with the, holding with the intern, like you know, the kid from the, um, the machete and the Criminal shoulder. Minds or whatever. Like when he's really young, <laughs> the like, machete you know, in the shoulder. Yeah, the machete in the shoulder, which is like one of the more ridiculous action sequences because that's the boat scene and they're shooting and like you know and, the, and that machete like the close up of it just coming down on his shoulder, um, which is you know just a. And then he's just, like, walking around with a damn, like, he's got this, like, I mean, it goes deep, like, in his shoulder. And it's, like, he's just walking around with, like, you know, bandages around his arm, right. like, in a sling. But so, how would you, so, he, so, so Steve shoots the pirate in the neck. Yes. And, you know, and the thing. Right. So and then you he, get a close-up somehow of that. Did he actually kill that pirate? No. That's so that was just an actor. It's just okay. an actor. They're all just actors. Okay. Like, um. None of, nothing, none of that stuff is real. None of it actually is happening. Right. It's yeah. you watching. So, like, there's little things. Like, when they when they go down to go into the airplane that they find. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that conversation that happens about Steve-Z and all that stuff, that's real. Like, you know, like, they're trying to actually, like, determine. That's not part, that's not part of the documentary. Like, that's them, like, actually talking about before they filmed the documentary. Like, oh, can I call you Steve-Z? Like, all that stuff. That's not in the movie itself. Them going down there and exploring is part of that movie. And then whatever dialogue is staged between them, kind of, at that point. But they're talking about going down there. Can I do this? Can I do that? As we're, like, going down here to film. Like, you know, they already have a plot. You know, that they're ready to go cut immediately. Like, in their little film booth and add music to. Because that's what they're doing at night. Sure. It's like, you know, they, they immediately know. Like, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's all staged. Like, and it's... There are little elements that you can tell what's real and what's not. Like, because but, the, but the pirates made it onto the ship because Ned was in the bunk with with uh, what's her name. Yeah, but that's all fake. None of that stuff is real. Steve seemed pretty pissed when he came down and said, "Who was who was on watch?" 
But yeah, and then it's like, look at the way he acts, though. Like, when he's handcuffed and he's like, you know, I'm going to get you for that or whatever. It's like, it's just so over the top really and absurd. Yeah, he's very, very upset. The <laughs> pirates on his ship. Right, yeah. Um, so. Oh, let me just say, like, because yeah. you're talking about that scene and, uh-huh. and like, a lot of scenes. Uh, both of these movies, and maybe all Wes Anderson movies, I'd have to, like, look at and, and think about it. But uh, very, like, uh, French New Wave, like, the way... The cuts and the, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right, because he's a hipster. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's his style. I mean, like, I think you probably watched a lot of French New Wave stuff. Hipster I mean, you're, style. you're very familiar. So, yeah. so um, on the movie, he says that um, Hunter says that it do- never quite comes together. It's not merely the sudden shift of tone or the star um, as the man who never was. It's that the film seems more... An accumulation of moments, many of them hilarious, rather than consciously crafted story. Right, because it's not real. Um, Wes Anderson is too talented of a filmmaker to make a movie that bad without it being on purpose, in my opinion. Right. And there's elements... So go back and think about Rushmore, right? There's elements of Rushmore that are 100% Max's plays, where you're not actually seeing real interactions between people. You're seeing Max's hyper-stylized, teenage viewpoint, theatrical interpretation of interactions between people. To the point where you actually see, like, productions. Like, the whole, what is it, like, Vietnam thing sure, that he does? Sure, yeah. And but you're saying is, other other scenes in that movie are also his productions, right? I think so. And just they're not 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 exposed to you as not revealed to be. Yeah, because but, because to your initial point, well, now like, I have to now I have to go watch that. Anderson that in mind. Anderson doesn't feel like he needs the what I like about him a lot, even though like again like I'm kind of tired of like the whimsy aspect of it. I like that he doesn't ever feel like he has to hold your hand through what he's trying to tell you. I agree with that. He just wants you, like he's showing you things and wants you to just interpret them how you interpret them. And I think he's way too talented of a director to make a movie so bad on purpose. Uh, uh, No, to make a movie so bad on accident. Whereas (laughs) it's completely on purpose that it's bad because it's amateur actors these hacks, basically. This guy who's spent it, made his entire career over never exploring the oceans, just making fake... Like, the old man who comes up to him and is having him sign yeah, uh-huh. the placards, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Like, all of those things. It's like the wild jungle cats of the yeah, island yeah, they're, they're, they're like, like running with a tiger. They're and 50s B-movies. Right, like, because yeah. they're all, cause it's all fake. Like, that's the thing, is that he's never made a real... And I don't think Hennessy has ever made a real discovery. But, I think but, all but, of it. But, but Hennessy is, you know, he's seemingly, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if he ever made a documentary, but Hennessy seems to be the serious scientist. Right. With who, his, with his tight clothes wearing. Aryan crew. Pretty, pretty boys. Right, yeah. That he surrounds himself with because, oh, I've always been kind of gay or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's is, like. God, my favorite part of that Goldblum thing, and I, I'm i an animal lover, but oh, it still dog. makes me oh laugh. Oh, my God. Is when he, like, what, what's that dog's Cody, name? He's, Cody. He, he, goes, he goes, what's your dog's, yeah. dog's name? And and Steve makes it up. He goes, yeah. he looks at the dog and he goes, Cody. Yeah. He goes over that damn newspaper and just wraps us, like, <laughs> like, sit down, Cody. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
It's like it's such a heel move. Oh yeah, like you know to go hit the dog with a damn newspaper. Like, but again, I, I, I would I would love to hear Anderson like actually talk about like honestly about his yeah intent behind the movie because I really think that instead of lying like he did on the director's commentary on the DVD, I don't think he's lying. I think he's leaving it open ended because he wants yeah. you to figure it out yourself. So I'll move to Ebert real quick. Ebert gives it two and a half stars, mm. and he um, Ebert's a bitch. <laughs> Rest in peace. Um, He says, um, at the beginning of the review, he says, Terminal Whimsy is what I called it on the TV show. He says, yes, but isn't that better than half-hearted whimsy or no whimsy at all? Anderson's Life Aquatic is the damnedest film. I can't recommend it, but I would not for one second discourage you from seeing it. Um, He goes on to kind of criticize... Um, the lifelessness of the Zizu character, um, in some ways, and um, so again, like not not to cut you off, but to my point, Anderson is a talented enough director, and Bill Murray is by far a talented enough actor. Sure, which we've definitely that seen that is one hundred percent has to be on purpose. Yeah. But isn't it? But isn't I mean? So Steve Zizou Zizou very much based on Jacques Cousteau. Mm. Isn't the idea that Jacques Cousteau had like a horrible like personal life and like with his kids, with his wives and, and what have you. And I mean, isn't it more a reflection of that? That I mean Steve Zissou is No, is, I don't think so. Is only he's only like the, the character, he's only like a um any 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 kind of role model or example when he's on in one of his documentaries. And the rest of the time he is just just a terrible person until and, he actually grows as a human being. Right. Right. Which and is to my point right. is that you don't see that character growth as actual character growth. You see it as thing happens, person grows. But Murray like is so purposefully acting overacting in those scenes that 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 that's your cue. When he's acting like a person that's just like a disaffected... Right, disaffected and awkward at times. Right, person, and stuff like that. that's yeah. Steve Zissou, which meets what you're saying about Jacques Cousteau. And I don't yeah. know anything about Jacques Cousteau, yeah, yeah. aside from like being a fan of like his pictures and movies. Yeah. When he's overacting, that's you watching him... Act for the documentary. In his reality that he's creating just for this movie that he's right. making... Yeah. Where he's the I want to say I want to say I'm not sure about the stuff that I said about Jacques Cousteau. Right. But that's that's Wait. my recollection. Wait, I really don't. I Wait, really don't want the Cousteau. One of the greatest. I don't want, I don't want the Cousteau Society to like shut down your podcast. Right. right. <laughs> say things about Jacques Cousteau. The, the guy. The guy. We from, can bleep. Can we bleep any mention? I won't say it again. Just bleep it out. The guy from Sweden is um is listening to this and he's part of the Jacques Cousteau Society. <laughs> yeah. He's like I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> In Swedish, I guess I don't know. It's funny. I <laughs> always think I always think of him as 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 as, as, as a male as well because and it's for some reason it's like I thought about that. Like, why do I assume that? And it's like I, I can't I can't imagine a female that would be listening to this, which I think is really sexist on my part. Right. But you right. said it was a male too. I always use the masculine pronoun when I talk about things. <laughs> I don't think that's okay. I wouldn't I say I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's just okay. maybe I'm a sexist. Okay, that's I'm not a sexist. Yeah. <laughs> um. So then he goes on to describe. Um, Ebert goes on to describe like all like the things like you know that you actually pointed out before. Kind of, it's like you know 
So that, like, you know, like about like the the folk singer, like, you know, doing the Bowie songs, like in Portuguese, you know, that there's Filipino pirates, that there's like this like weird father son love triangle thing that like kind of starts building up early in the movie. Like, and he like talks about us this and he says, so you see, it's that kind of movie. The colors are like the pastels produced by colored pencils and kind of beautiful like the shark is. The action goes through the motions of slapstick at the velocity of dirge. Um, what? Zizu seems melancholy as if simultaneously depressed that life is passing him by and that it is taking so long to do it. Angelica Houston seems privately amused, which is so much more intriguing than seeming publicly amused. Kate Blanchett proves she can do anything, even though even things that she should not do. Um... <laughs> You know, um, you're really making me angry. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, um, so he's, um, I think he's like kind of, but I think to some degree it's like, you know, he, he, he's kind of saying what you were saying earlier, early on about the whimsy and then is like taking like some of those things that are add to that whimsy. And is saying, and then basically like saying, like all these people are right. Well, he's damning with faint praise. Yes. Yeah, and criticizing the pacing. Well, I yeah, I don't know. So okay, so I I think the reason I like this movie the most is because this is the only movie where the whimsy is completely fake. Like the whimsy isn't. It's always in the scenes where, in my opinion, you're not really seeing like reality. You're seeing a movie, Mm -hmm. and I'd be curious, like. The, the French, so the French Bowie is like Portuguese. Two, Portuguese. Oh, I'm sorry, Portuguese Bowie is like two thirds of the soundtrack. Yeah. Then there's other songs that happen. Well, the real life on Mars plays early on. Yeah. Like the Bowie version. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. Yeah, when yeah. he first meets yeah. Ned, the right. real version yeah. plays. He, because oh, he does life <laughs> on Mars like much later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does, yeah. So I'm curious as to like if that's a. Like a musical cue as to like what you're seeing then, like whether or not it's. I've thought about that. Mm. that and I meant whether the, the Portuguese versions mean you're watching real life, right? I or actually the, the opposite. I think the But again, like I really think that, and when you think about, he's playing like one of those songs, like when the ladder comes up next to him and the Filipino pirates like board the ship. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I think, I think the real songs true. are the actual reality. So like when I think he it was Major Tom. Yeah, it, yeah. I'm pretty sure that. When Life on Mars plays in the beginning is the indication that it is like a movie within the movie. Just like in Bowie's song is him, the songwriter within the song itself, watching the subject of the song that he's singing about. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. I know. I, mean, I, that's I, I that's know what Life that, on know, Mars is. I know that song very well, yeah. Because it, it it's, yeah. it's Bowie making himself a character in his own song that's not about him at all, yeah. but it's completely about him. No, y- yes. You know, it's the right, young girl because there, there's a, there's who's who's the I in it? Like that's right. that's one of the questions of that song, and it's like it's the it's the artist, like whoever whether it's Bowie or whether it's it's the it's the creator, like is the I in that? Right. Like, whether that's Bowie or not, like the creator you know. and the singer of the song, the person right. that's yes. like watching the policeman beating on the wrong guy or whatever. You know, it's yes, yeah, yeah, it's. it's yeah, I mean, there's a lot of complexities to that song, like you know that we've discussed at length. But and yeah. I, I think, I think fitting because I think there's a lot of complexity in this movie mm-hmm. that's kind of mm-hmm. like 
glossed over by the fact that people just be like, man, this movie's like really badly acted and doesn't make much sense. Mm-hmm. Like it's just and you th- and you think about some other elements of that song, Life on Mars. Like it does pop up here. Like you know the implication in Life on Mars in the first verse is that she's pregnant. Right. Um, so they're, you know, and it's by herself because her guy's not around. Like, and her parents know, have kicked her out. Her parents kicked her out. Yeah. So you have, like, that character actually represented in this movie. Um, you have, like, you know, despicable male violence and, like, you know, chauvinism with what she's watching on the screen. Like, you know, like these injustices and stuff like that. It's like the sailor, sailors, you know, yeah. um, fighting in the, the mess hall or whatever. Dance hall. Dance hall. Like, um, you know. So, yeah, there's, like, a lot of little things in that that I, now that I think about it, but... And I think it's very telling that it's, like, he realizes that his tact is wrong and that he's lost his celebrity, and that's the moment where he finds the way that he can regain it. And from that point on, it's them, like, building this narrative for this movie that is going to help, like, all of them solve their problems, right? Because, like, everyone's financial emotional relationship problems are solved in the end and no one's particularly torn up about the fact that ned is dead because he's not right mickey mouse has grown up to be a cow right what about right what about esteban esteban's not dead either i think esteban just retired yeah like i i honestly and i i meant to bring that up earlier but i honestly believe because no one's torn up about it right like no one has any real emotion about the fact that these people are quote-unquote dead Jeff Goldblum doesn't care that his entire crew is buried on this right. island in the Philippines with their little sailor hats on top of crosses, right? Yeah. Like, he's just like, well, got to get younger ones now, you know? I mean, it's like... Yeah. Okay, any final thoughts on that at all? Again, like, I I feel like in a lot of ways, like, I've, I've actually kind of, like, he started talking about Tenenbaums and... Me talking about Life Aquatic has, like, sort of talked me back into liking Wes Anderson more than I did. <laughs> yeah. But I, I... I feel like he's a little less than the people I consider to be the greatest directors of this generation. But only a little. And I think at one point I held him in the same esteem, and I think it's kind of fallen off somewhat. Because I do feel like he's one note. Whereas, like, I can watch um, Paul Thomas Anderson, and his movies are always captivating and complex and I don't know that Wes Anderson rises to that level but maybe that's just because like I'm like dead inside and I need like that much to feel something but I, I think know. it's very hard to compare the two um but it's, it's it's apples and oranges in terms of like everything about their style and their content but if we're just talking about people from the standpoint of like who's Making a better great movies. director yeah right like I think that I think Paul Thomas Anderson is far Paul Thomas Anderson is far more challenging of a director than Wes Anderson is. But still, like, really talented, very good storyteller, amazing, like, visual storyteller in the terms of, like, how he can, like, juxtapose. Well, I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm very excited, like, thinking about what uh, Wes Anderson could do in the, in the future. Hmm. I, I don't know, I might be less, less excited about what Paul Thomas Anderson could do in the future. Really? I, you know what? Maybe. And I, I, I agree with that viewpoint. Yeah. But I think, like, I want to see Wes Anderson evolve. I, I would very tell, much like to see that. Yeah. Tell more stories in sure. a different way. Whereas I don't know if Paul Thomas Anderson can ever evolve. Because I think that he's kind of... Like, have you watched um, 
Phantom Thread yet? No, I haven't. Right, so Phantom Thread and The Master, to me, are both very weighty movies that just kind of beat you down. And there's not a whole lot of, like... Would you also say that about There Will Be Blood? No, I mean, I, I think There Will Be Blood is maybe... Maybe his masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. I, I well, in I, terms of like filmmaking and the performance that he gets out of the yeah, main well, actor. I mean, I, or maybe Boogie Nights. Well, I mean, Boogie Nights is my favorite of his movies. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if it's his most like technically proficient. Yeah, but there will be blood. Is is really fantastic. But yeah, I found the master. Um, it was it's, very weighty. It was very. Right. It was. It was not. Uh, it was not particularly enjoyable to it's watch. It's not. And neither is Phantom Thread. But like, it also didn't. It didn't. I don't want to say it was pointless, but yeah. it just I didn't feel I didn't feel fulfilled by the movie. Like, Maybe I'll be know. wrong twenty five years down the road. Like I'm firmly convinced that Paul Thomas Anderson is going to end up being the closest to this generation's Kubrick. Mm. Like you could I, be right. I think that he's going to eventually like make so many different movies and different slightly different genres. You I mean, that, I, I'm hoping this, what is it, Hollywood Babylon, is that what it's called? Yeah. Like, brings Tarantino back in some ways sure, to yeah. some level of respect, in my right, opinion. Yeah. But, right. I mean, but, I, 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 but I, I'm very interested to see what Wes Anderson does. Like, it's almost like I'm waiting for him to fully mature and move past some of the stuff from his right. early 20s. If yeah. you ever see, like, if you ever watch interviews with Wes Anderson, he's still a guy that's wearing, like, I mean, sure, he's, yeah. like, still wearing, like, little ties and <laughs> yeah, yeah. polka dot shirts and, like, you know, buy a sweater, buddy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, so okay. I, I really enjoyed watching these two movies again. Yeah, I did too. I, 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 I think as a trilogy, in terms of their themes and in terms of their execution, Rushmore, Tenenbaums, and Life Aquatic are brilliant and all like worth watching and definitely modern classics. Yeah. Sure. Final thoughts, Easter. Um. No, I, I really enjoyed watching his movies again, too. And uh, now I feel like I need to go back and watch Rushmore and probably Bottle Rocket. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'll maybe continue and watch the rest of them again. And I'll watch mm-hmm. Isle of Dogs. And, but yeah, I, I'd very much like to see what he does. Like He's very much into the animation. The animation that he's doing now started with um, Life Aquatic. Right. He's, mm-hmm. so, I mean, he's the, same, the same guy who did that. Who did, he's so yeah. good at presenting complex human human emotion and weighty like universal themes mm-hmm. through this like brilliant and all like, almost like minimalist like stop motion animation oh, fantastic yeah. mr fox is an amazing movie sure. and i've seen it like three times and every time i see it i find something new about it that i just i'm stunned that like so much emotion can come out of like something i don't know i don't know a blob of clay or right whatever like whatever or like wires and putty or whatever it is mm-hmm. I don't know that's it though okay yep alright um, well Easter thank you for oh, thanks yeah, for talking about this really yeah. Yeah, um, so next week uh, we will be um, doing the top five heist movies of all time um, so you can join us for that um, we'll be back to uh, that and then in two weeks uh, we'll be doing a Christmas episode um, best uh, children's Christmas movie um, will be the topic mm. uh, it'll be another third man series um and uh, uh, then we'll be taking a break for Christmas and then we'll be back at the end of the month with an episode. Um, so you can there's plenty of episodes back in the archives that you can go through um, that are up right now. 
Uh, and if you want to contact us, uh, you can do so at two guys five movies at gmail.com. That's a number two and five two guys five movies at gmail.com. You can also friend us on Facebook. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good night. Yep, have a good night. Night.